I'll give you my. I'll drop my own beat. Woke up at night. I heard floating chords. They guided me to the Highland Fjords above the clouds on a mountain peak and there he sat and he began to speak Vog oh shit I like <laughs> Lucas and Zach podcast he that's all I got <laughs> well welcome to episode 31 of the Lucas and Zach podcast um I don't think Zach actually watched this movie because he just sang that song in a completely yeah. different style than the original version. Uh, <laughs> I listen to that song like daily because Theo will go, ha, 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 ha. That's my <laughs> other thing about that. Was, it was basically just like, ha, ha. And like in the song, it's almost like a whistle, like a, ha, ha, ha. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. And if you have not realized yet, um, we have started a new month. It is 2020 movies, and if our very obvious names have not given you an indication of what we're covering, if Zach's song hasn't given you an indication of what we're covering, in case you're really no, clueless, <laughs> we're covering Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, as our beginning of our 2021. I don't know why I was convinced to do this episode. Um, well, probably because I think Caleb begged me to do it. That's definitely the narrative that happened. Hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, it was like, hey, do you want to talk about Eurovision? And I was just like out of the blue. I was like, sure. Like, okay. This is exactly how I start all um, getting all guests is I send the message and go, you want to talk about this movie? And I'm like, show up this date. And then we have it. <laughs> and then they come and like, we're doing this show and it's all their fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, Zach is here. We have returning guest Caleb Kohu here, who has not been here since October when we talked about Hotel Transylvania, which incidentally also has song numbers in it and sparkly costumes and capes. So there are some connections. And a vampire. It's a weird, weird thing between the two. And potentially gay Russian people. We don't know. We Absolutely know. gay Russian people. <laughs> <laughs> there are no gay people in Russia. Remember this? That's a great joke. It's a great joke. Before we get too deep into the movie, um, let's do uh, last letterbox movie, starting with Mr. Zach Ford. Zachy, how you doing? No, I just drank some tea and it's like burning <laughs> a flame in my chest. I'm not sure I can see. Uh, I watched um, the movie called Little Fish. Uh, you mean Big Fish? I just break Lucas just joked for him, so we don't have to deal with that. Okay, Little Fish uh, is 2021 movie. Um, by Chad Hardigan. Um, also, Chad Hardigan, most famous for liking my tweet uh, bashing the basketball in his movie Morris from America. So he's a good sport. Um, <laughs> may, I might only watch his movies because he liked my tweet making fun of me. <laughs> and um, anyways, Little Fish starring the, honestly, like I would say underrated. Please uh, stop. Olivia, <laughs> I was say, Olivia, Cook, Olivia Cook and... Um, Jack, Jack O'Connell. O'Connell. Okay, thank you. Jack <laughs> O'Connell, who um, both of them, I feel like, um, just haven't been quite given the chance to, you know, reach the peaks of stardom that I think they deserve. I think they're really, you know, two of our better actors 
um, for their generation. Um, I, I recently told Lucas, I think Olivia Cook was one of the top five actresses under 30, and he acts like this is appalling take to have. Um, but but I, think I don't she, think it's appalling. I just think it's yeah. it, it's out of step with her with their career path. I just think she just hasn't had the huge movie to explode, but she like makes everything she does um, better. I think she's really like is really what pulls me and her own dying girl together. I think she's what makes it work. Um, and and I think do and I think Sound of Metal she just kind of got like erased in the conversation um, by Riz Ahmed and Paul Rocky. A lot of the attention went to him. That and she got an orcs. I think she's just amazing in that movie. She just kind of disappears for half of it. Um, but she, this is really her chance to, you know, have a starring, you know, romantic drama role and, and shines. She gets to show a lot of warmth and empathy. Um, so the movie is a, it's a pandemic movie, which it seems like all we're getting. And it was made before the pandemic. But, um, but in this, um, it causes people's memory. Basically, they fall into dementia and Alzheimer's. Everyone's memory starts to go out on them um, when they catch the disease. Um, and so it's about her... Um, and Jack O'Connor, a married couple, and him starting to um, disappear due to this disease um, and how they deal with it as well, while the whole kind of world is kind of falling apart due to this. Um, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking, um, just really emotionally effective, I think, in every second of the movie. Um, and, and there's still kind of a warmth by how it's shot and how in the music that um, I kind of brings you, makes it more intimate and close with the relationship. It, it's worth a watch. I, I'm worried it's going to get buried and forgotten um, amongst 2021 because it came out early. It came out when people are trying to catch up on Oscar stuff that it's just not going to get watched. But um, it's available for rental um, on demand, probably like Amazon and um, Apple or iTunes. So I recommend people to check it out. I mean, I think the problem with O'Connell's career has always been everyone just keeps thinking he's going to be James Bond, and then he doesn't do anything big in the meantime. So, like, he does 71, and he's great in 71. But he also – him and Cook, actually, if you look at their career paths, they have very much the similar problem, which is they have good work. The problem is it's two and three years apart. It takes them two and three years to go from – I mean, if you look at Cook's career, it's like 2014, Me, Earl, and the, me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, 2017, Thoroughbreds. 2021 this one it just it takes her you know so yes. long between work once again let's not erase her from okay. sound of metal but even if you count sound of metal that's still three years apart that's three years between those three movies um they just have a real consistency problem they just don't appear on our screens often enough to get the hype yeah and unfortunately it looks like she has nothing that's going to really check in the next couple of years according to her imd and production page so a little disappointing yeah She's gonna be because she's gonna be on that Game of Thrones people. So she's gonna get huge and she's gonna get roles. That's right. She's Risky Fun's daughter. <laughs> Which is how I'm referring to her from now on. So her career is about to explode. Because people go on Game of Thrones and they get the movie roles. Whether they deserve it or not. Wow. Just Kohal, have you seen this movie? Have you heard of this movie? Do you have, a thought, do you have thoughts on you Olivia Cook or Jack O'Connell? Uh Olivia Cook was in uh, Ready Player One, right? Yeah, she yeah. is. She's yeah. terrible in it. Yeah, she's she's all right. Uh, her the part she's playing is terribly written. It's not her fault. That's right. Uh, but she, I think she's doing that part well. Um, I haven't seen her in a lot of things. Um, but I remember seeing her in Ready Player One. So and she's, awesome. so. she's not in much. Is I think probably the, the answer to why you have not seen her in a lot of things. True. Um, what's your last letterbox movie, Cole? My last letterbox movie was part of my Black History Month uh, marathon, uh, which is. Get on the bus. Um, Spike Lee's movie uh, about a bunch of uh, guys who traveled to the Million Man March 
uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's got Ozzie Davis, Charles S. Dutton, Andre Brower, um, Richard Belzer. It's a bunch of character actors on this one bus, uh, and they're all they're all really good. Uh, also, Randy Quaid shows up for no reason. Uh, just He's just there for a minute. Uh, but this movie uh, is just really good. Um, I'm, it's a very dialogue-centric movie, which is something that I really enjoy, um, especially Spike Lee. Uh, doing like I think when Spike Lee has something on his mind and on his heart and he puts that into a movie it turns out pretty damn great um, and this is one of the ones that I watched that just took me back uh, by just by all the performances I love Andre Brower like from Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, this is 360 opposite role of Raymond Holt uh, and I love it um, he's so good in this movie I also really love Charles S. Dunn Ozzie Davis is just a national treasure um, and of course, Thomas Jefferson Bird, who's also really good in this movie, uh, R.I.P. Um, but yeah, uh, fantastic movie. I have never seen this. Um, looks like a really good cast. Um, Spike Lee is one of those directors where I have um, blind spots in the middle of his career. Like I have a decent knowledge of early on his big stuff, like late 80s, early 90s. And then I have... Um, good knowledge from like 99 on but there is kind of that period in the middle and this kind of falls into it where i just haven't seen any of them zach thoughts on get on the bus i also haven't seen it but we may have a reason to watch it soon no spoilers because you don't like it when i say things but it could it, it, come into our future i'm glad you just not spoiled that by saying something that sort of does I <laughs> it's I fine no idea what talking about me and Zach Lucas are going to have a sleepover. We're going to meet each other. We're going to wear masks and we're going to watch uh, Get on the Bus. That's the spoil. We're going to wear masks, two masks, and sit six feet apart. Yeah, they're going to be special pajama masks. It's the pajama party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my last movie uh, was One Night in Miami. The Regina King directed... Um, I don't really call it a historical feature, I guess, feature, I guess, because it's not really a biopic um, of uh, a night where Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Malcolm X, and Sam Cooke all end up in the same place together. And sort of their interactions related to their place as black celebrities and how they can use their power or their influence to push um, a cause that helps um their people reach a better place in life. And it's really good. Um, I didn't love it as much as maybe as some other people. I do think the interesting thing about this movie to me has been who receives um, like awards, nominations, and who receives the buzz. I actually think that the two actors who didn't get it, who don't seem to be getting it, are the ones I like the best. Like, I think I like Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown more than I like any of the other ones. And I think that Eli Gorey as Cassius Clay is probably my second favorite. Although, um, Leslie Odom Jr. and Kingsley Benadire are kind of getting all the awards buzz. I actually, in some ways, I really disagree with the Leslie Odom Jr. stuff. I think he gets completely blown off the screen in most of those scenes. I think he's forgettable. I think he just gets pushed yeah, off. I think they're just. I think he's. The, I think he's the standout. I think he pushes off. Thank you. Who I think is a, getting a little great because he's getting the primary role and playing such a noble character. But I think he can't hang with what Lose Odom Jr. is bringing. I think also because there's a point that you like he can be kind of unlikable or unsympathetic that maybe people are taking away. I just think Sam. I think and and, it's, and I'm not even thinking it's really Leslie's fault as much as it is. It's hard to be Sam Cook 
playing Sam Cooke in that room with those other three personalities, um, especially Malcolm and Cassius, are just so much are larger than life personalities. They always have been. Um, I think it's James Brown is the one that kind of gets buried under the that's charisma. Right. See, I think, I, Jim I, think Brown, was, I, was, I think the surprising part was how much he brings to Sam Cooke. That you, I I would have thought it was more of a soft spoken man, but he comes off because you can see the fire when it get when it burns. I think he has the smoothest in the calm, but when you know when somebody is is going at him, his fire gets lit and it comes off. And I think it, that's the spark of the movie. I think the unexpected of when he you know shows up in that way. There's like multiple fight scenes that he's just like burying Malcolm X and and his defense. I still think that the most haunting scene of the film occurs at the beginning with Aldous Hodges, Jim Brown. That to me is the the most impactful scene and the scene that kind of made me snap back more than anything else that happens in the film, which is I think part of the reason that I was more invested with him than I was with some of the other people. Um, I would give a lot of credit to Kingsley Benadir. I think he has to walk a really fine line in that he has to be a character that is um, very strong in his convictions and his belief, which sometimes make him unpopular, but you also have to make sure that you don't play, you don't really want Malcolm X to be the bad guy of your movie. So like, I think the line he has to walk is somewhat complicated. And I give credit to both him and Virginia King, obviously, because you do not want to make a movie where it's like, Malcolm X is the bad guy. That's not necessarily a great look for the story you're trying to tell. He is the one playing a role that has the biggest shadow in it with Denzel. Everybody else yes. gets to create more of their own thing. I mean, you could say Ali, um, you know, Will Smith or just Ali himself is kind of a big shadow yeah. um, to play. Um, but but Denzel's performance is such a gigantic um, you know, thing in our culture that to live up to it, he, he still has to, you know, work with that. No one else, like, no, it's just a big Sam Cooke performance. No. That we've had before. No. Um, I love, I love this movie. And I think Regina King, like, totally directs the shit out of it. Um, I think her direction is the thing that I walked away with the most was how well she was able to balance these four actors and these four characters and help them all get to a different place than they were at the start. I think Aldous Hodge is the weakest of the four just because they don't give him anything to do outside that one really great scene at the beginning. But I do think Eli Gorey is like, and Kingsley Benadier are the two best new finds from this movie. I think those two play fantastic parts as uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, Malcolm X. And I think both of them had big, I, I haven't seen Malcolm X or, uh, Ali. So I haven't seen Will Smith or Denzel play those parts before, which like, so I can't, I, I had that coming into it for me is that I hadn't, I didn't have a preconceived notion of how they should be. Um, and I thought Kingsley Benadier kills it. I think he's probably the best part of this movie. Um, the way that he's able to just command that conversation and that presence, but never once are you against him. But I, I stand by Leslie should win the Oscar. I think he is fantastic down to the, um, a change is going to come performance at the end which actually had me in tears uh i i think that i think him i think he i think he has the best arc of the entire group before from being the one that kind of gets beat up on as being the one who doesn't help or is not very outspoken um and so they kind of call him on that throughout the entire movie and it comes down to that that monologue where he has where he does the um i don't want a piece of the pie i want the whole damn recipe uh, monologue, which I think is fantastic and delivered so well, and then to get to where he is at the end, where he's singing "A Change Is Gonna Come" on TV, is like a really beautiful arc. So I, I give Leslie a lot of credit. I do think he's great, um, and I, I hope he wins. Just 
because he deserves it for both the movies he was in this year. But uh, yeah, uh, Kings yeah. of Editors. Two thoughts before I get to my real hot take. So I really okay. have three thoughts, if you want to count. Uh, right. First first one, um, Lucas, we all just know he's really into a broad-shouldered man. It's true. That's why he's all about all his knowledge. He's all about Jim Brown. <laughs> he's, he's like, that guy definitely has the best workout routine of the bunch, so that's my favorite. Are you really going to diss? Are we really going to diss? I mean, obviously, Jim Brown does. The dude is a fucking legend. He was a monster. <laughs> yeah, that's why you like him. <laughs> um Second one, I, I think um, Kingsley Benadir, I, I think just at times I'm saying his performance bad, but I think times comes off a little too pathetic. And I think that's where my um, not loving his performance, I think it fully vibe came off. Um, I think he was missing a little bit of strength that we, I, I think, would consider with Malcolm X. Um, and here's my hot, hot take. Okay. I think the ending is completely botched. I think it's completely botched. I think there is. I think there is such a lack of patience um, in the filming of that scene. I think they should have fully depended on the performance and the song to carry out the ending. But it, the checking in on the other stories takes away from the moment. You have to go and you get the other narration of where they're from, but you don't really get to breathe within that performance and take it in. That didn't affect me. Like it affected other people because I'm instead getting the like this is how the person ended up that they normally would say for post credits stuff comments i do think i kind of agree with you on that i do think the ending does not hit me the way i think a lot of people got hit with it because i think there are I, jumping there's, on the... yeah there's nothing i love more than the music performance in this scene it's my my favorite scene of 2010s was phoenix which ends with her singing um but I, like that's what i want to see i want to see them saying not just have it end up being a background song yeah i do actually think one thing you said that um prompts me is that i think that the problem Kingsley Benadir has when he plays Malcolm X is he lacks some of the charisma that Denzel brings to that role. And I do think there are moments where he seems, um, yeah, like weak, like weak and sort of like he's a pawn. Like there's a little bit of like a, the way Denzel plays it is he has conviction and leadership. So he is aligned with, you know, Elijah Muhammad, but he is not necessarily a pawn of him. And I do think Kings of Benadir at times comes off as a little like slimy and like he's trying to, I, I don't know if the movie wants to, to portray him as a person who's trying to use other people, but I do think there are parts of that movie where it comes off as like, is he trying to use Cassius Clay or is he trying to use these other people for their, um, their stardom, like to uh, further his own interests. And I think sometimes that's, no, go ahead. No, I go kind of get it. Because the reds are saying too, like he is, they're supposed to be portraying him in like a vulnerable spot in his life, before yep. his life. So, so I think there needs to be some of it. I just think it goes too far and leaves, yeah, the bravura of uh, of his persona out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting though. Like you know, we're coming to it as people who have seen the other two movies, and Koho, you're coming to the person who has not seen the other two movies. Exactly. So like I I never movie. I didn't think he was ever really using people. I thought it was more so him in this position of of um knowing that they can all be doing more and it was um, this earnestness and this earnestness and like i th i thought he like commanded the screen leadership wise so i thought like he did a great job of just like of where the reason why he and sam cook fight so much is because he doesn't think sam cook is doing enough with his platform um and i think that that's the central crux of those two and i never really thought he was trying to use cassius clay but i always thought the relationship wasn't one built on complete honesty and that's what the movie's trying to totally kind of convey and so i think that that works um, I think hmm. the only person in this entire group of the four 
And I don't think it's because he doesn't really get anything to do. I, I really think I like Jim Brown a lot in terms of just like Aldisage's stoicness. And he very much feels like the dad in the room of like, guys, stop fighting. Uh, and like, I, I appreciate that what he brings in that part too, especially in the moments where it's a very much a like the other three fighting. And he's the one that's just like, yo, calm down. Cause then the biggest, the biggest issue for him though, in the entire movie is like, he's going to give up football to be an actor. And they think that's dumb. And I don't believe that they really would think that's dumb at all. I thought that struggle is like the most unbelievable of the four. Hmm. Like hmm. giving up football for acting is going to be the thing that all of your friends roast you for. Like, I don't know. I that, do th- that didn't work for me, but I do think in the, in the, in the terms of the narrative, I do think Malcolm X is very clearly trying to use Cassius Clay. Yeah. I, I think there, I think that's, I think he may be doing it because he, he thinks he has good reasons. I don't know. I think he's necessarily like doing it out of malice, but he's very clearly using somebody who is at best ambivalent towards the idea of going full Muslim. Right. And does not have the same convictions and beliefs that he does. That's absolutely fair. Um, with that being said, let's move on to our discussion of Eurovision Song, Ca- Song, Ca- Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Um, Zach Ford, would you like to give us a plot summary of this film? Yeah, so in 1974, there's this little kid. He has long blonde hair. Abba comes on TV. This guy's like, Abba, that's my shit. And he dances. And then this can you do can, can you do that gesture like three or four more times? This is mostly a podcast, I guess, dearest people that watch us. But I'll do the gesture, and I'm going to narrate it now. I'm pointing a finger to the right and a finger to the left, and they both <laughs> both coming back back around my netboy area as they return. Okay, please don't uh, talk about your netboy. Anyways, so little little bomb boy. <laughs> Feel feel an ABBA. Then this little girl is like, you know what? I feel the ABBA too. And she gets it. Gets the dance going. Gets the boogie going. And everyone else um, laughs at them because like their kid's dancing and it's cute and it's funny. But um, he takes it very offensively and he's like, what do you know? I'm going to go to Eurovision Song Contest. This is going to be a 90 minute plot summary, by the way. I'm going to go line by line. Um, I'm going to win it if it's the last thing I do and jump forward um, assumingly 45 years later where they're in their 50s. Um, (laughs) because we don't know when this movie takes place. I have theories about this. I think it takes place in the 90s, but let's move forward. Um, They um, are performing in the basement. Um, They're picking their song for Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, They accidentally get into the Iceland version of it, like the the contest to earn the rate into um, Eurovision because... Even though the performance go badly, everyone else gets blown up on the ship. And they're like, we win, but people died. Uh, but we win. And so they get to go to Eurovision. There's like they get to explore Scotland. It's beautiful. It's great. This movie looks wonderful. Uh they meet all these like fun, happy people that are proud of who they are. And they're like, Yeah, we're all Eurovision. Let's all sing together. I they sing. I cry. It's very moving. Um they go in their performance. They fuck up again. They're not, they get treated like they're really bad, bad and goofballs, but they're really not bad. They're just clumsy. So like shit just breaks. And um, I think everyone feels bad for them. So although um, Will Ferrell's like, we fucked up. I can't be here. Uh, and he goes back to Iceland. People feel bad for them or still enjoyed what was given and admire their strength of finishing that they get voted in to go to the finals. Um, to where then Lars has to swim um, all the way back to Iceland from a boat in the middle of the sea. Um, and then he makes it back. And they. this is horrible. 
I'm just saying. Anyways, they perform and it's great, and I cry. And she sings in a fake Icelandic. I guess it's not real Icelandic. Um, and it's very moving. And they don't win, but they do have a baby. And as I learned, that's winning in life. And they, and really, all along, what it learned out, I didn't. Um, the whole point of this was in the beginning. Will Ferrell's like, "Fuck yeah, yeah, ding dong." I don't want to play it. And by the end, through his journey, he learns to appreciate Ya Ya Ding Dog and plays it with joy. That's the real theme of the song of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Zach, for that. Um... I, everyone, I hope, just fast forward through three minutes <laughs> of this podcast. Um, so I wanted to start the discussion of Eurovision by um, let's pull ourselves way out from this mere film. And I want to talk about the career of one Wilford A. Farrell. I don't know if that's his name. Just calling him that because I feel like you said you did research. Give me that full name. Would you like me to find out Will Ferrell's full name? It's definitely William. Yes. It's definitely not Will Ford. It's William. John William Ferrell. Is his, his name, name Will? It's John. This is a bullshit. Because you know that hundred percent when he went to Hollywood, there was somebody named John Ferrell in the Actors Guild, and he had to change his name. And there's not someone named Ferrell. I don't think so. This is common. I mean, it's not Will A. You should have been not Will A. Ferrell. His mistake is he should have been Billy Farrell. Clearly. Um, let me just – I'm just going to read you yeah. uh, Farrell's career, most recent movies to la the last. And um, I'm going to make a point after this. So he does this movie and Downhill. He does Between Two Ferns, the movie. He does the second Lego movie. He does Holmes and Watson, Daddy's Home 2, The House, Zoolander 2, Daddy's Home, Get Hard, the Lego movie, Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. The Campaign, Casa de Mi Padre, Megamind, Everything Must Go, The Other Guys, Land of the Lost, Step Brothers, Semi-Pro, Blades of Glory. That's back to 2007. You can keep going after that if you want. Um, I would argue that this Eurovision is Will Ferrell's best movie since either 2010's The Nice Guys, uh, 2010's The Other Guys, not The Nice Guys, you idiot, um, or 2008's Step Brothers. Um, I also think that if you look at Farrell's career, this movie has a lot in common with Elf. Um, Elf is a movie about someone who loves Christmas and through loving Christmas so much convinces everybody else they should love Christmas too. And Eurovision is a movie about a man who loves the Eurovision Song Contest and convinces everybody that he is not a loser by loving the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, for the long and short of it, this movie is kind of Astounding in that it is one of the few good Will Ferrell movies in the last 10 to 15 years. He's kind of had a pretty rough run. I mean, I guess you could argue for the Lego movies, but um, he's not really in them that much. Uh, Zach, what's your take on Will hey, Ferrell's buddy. career? Um, I think this might be my favorite Will Ferrell movie. So I'm going to go, <laughs> it's the best Will Ferrell movie in, in all his career. It's like and I'm going to say that's an insane take. I, I am. I didn't even think about the comparison between this and Elf until you mentioned, but it does make sense. Because, and that's I think why those are the two movies that I connect to the most is just a general positivity and, and the like treating something that could be cheesy, like loving Christmas so much or loving Eurovision, but with like the right amount of you know parody, but mostly just pure endearing love and charm for those two things um, for Christmas and and this, this goofy ass. Um, Song contest. Um, 
So I think, and I think that's rare for a lot of his roles. I think there is a kind of more cutting satire that he did in uh, the Adam McKay movies um, that they're fun and enjoyable and I laugh a lot during them, but I, I just don't connect emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like I, I this, like this is the most moving Will Ferrell movie to me. It's, it's weird to say that, but it really, it, it just, I, I, I get to laugh and have fun, but I also just like feel good about life and humanity. And this yeah. is what I, I seek for most of movies. Well, this is also like one of the few Will Ferrell movies, this and Elf, where the, they're talking about a specific thing um, a specific thing that exists in the real world, so the, the idea of Christmas or the idea of Eurovision, and not treating it with a sense of mockery or like malice towards it. Like, I mean, if you think about, he has Semi Pro, which is about basketball. He has Blades of Glory, which is about ice skating. He doesn't seem to be particularly reverent or loving towards these fields. He doesn't like even Anchorman is very much a like it's a commentary on how crappy these newsrooms were and how sexist they were there's not a lot of love or adoration for these ideas and you know i think even he continues that in his other movies um especially recently he's had a lot of mean-spirited movies and in some ways that's why they haven't worked like this this character is very genuine and committed and i think that's what kind of even even in like the less even like ones like stepbrothers there's a level of commitment and genuine um you know nature towards these films that you just don't see in stuff like the daddy's home franchise or get hard or the house or zoolander 2 um mr coho yes sir what's your take on the recent will ferrell is this the best movie will ferrell movie since the other guys is it the best movie since stepbrothers this is the best will ferrell movie since megamind i stand by that megamind is the last great movie he's been in in my opinion like really solid work uh, I think Megamind. I, I do think, yeah, I think Megamind like has a lot of like good funny jokes, whatever. But I think Eurovision is the first time in like the last ten years where I was like, he's actually really funny. Like he's actually giving like a really earnest performance that I'm like not cringing. It's not like Holmes and Watson where like I hate everything that's happening. <laughs> like yeah. it's whereas like this is the first time where I actually think Will Ferrell's actually really funny. Like his jokes are hitting. He his like performance is actually super believable and genuine and you can tell he like earnestly is trying to play this character as like just human and as realistic as he can uh and just like he's putting a lot into this character and it really shows um all the way through like i like i'm not going to compare it to like anchorman or talladega nights or stepbrothers like i think like his run in the 2000s is some of the best performances he's given ever but like i think this one this performance is one that i think you could at least say is closer to those than his recent work and i think that's a very like that's a refreshing thing he definitely seems to care in this movie in a way he right. has not recently if you go and watch the holmes and watson the house daddy's home one and two uh get hard he is like he doesn't care he's totally phoning these things in for the page like there's a clear level of like i think he probably is smart enough comedically to understand that these movies are not funny and that the only jokes they're gonna have enough jokes for a trailer but beyond that they're just nothing there Right. And I think you can even see that in his performances. He just just doesn't have a he doesn't care a lot. Also, I think Will Ferrell has always been a character guy over everything. And Get Hard, Daddy's Home Two, Holmes and Watson, they don't have characters for him to commit to the way he was doing in the two thousands. And Eurovision is kind of bringing that back. He's really committed to this idea of this. It is kind of a spin on Elf. It's kind of a spin on Step Brothers. He's a guy in his forties who's playing 
music in a garage, his dad's garage. I mean, he's not necessarily um, a big success or a great person. And that's kind of a Will Ferrell stereotype is that he always plays the guy who is a bit of a loser and kind of not doing great, like lifetime. He doesn't have a lot of accomplishments, but he is um, very committed to his one thing in a way that makes people like him because he has like one good trait, which is in this movie. He really, really loves the Eurovision song. Just. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot to say for who he's playing with. I think a lot of the credit goes, I think Rachel McAdams make it work. Yes, I think please. Will Ferrell's not, not doing too much different, I feel like, than a lot of his other roles. He's still kind of the unlikable one in the movie. He's still kind of having his tantrums. He gets to shout ridiculous things. He's still doing, it's very much a Will Ferrell performance. I think what helps us out is the balance that Rachel McAdams create because she's kind of playing such a lovely and endearing character that it makes it avoid stepping too far to that, you know, kind of mean-spirited, kind of obnoxious side. I feel like sometimes when he's with John C. Riley, they're kind of both playing off that. And you just get two people who are so over-the-top kind of obnoxious or um, angry. Um, that I think this is the first one you just have someone who just kind of seems to be a lovely human being um, there to, to balance out that role. And, and it helps make us find the likability in that Will Ferrell character because you can see him through the eyes of Rachel McAdams. This is also an interesting point in Rick McAdams' career as well because um, her two recent movies have been comedies in Game Night and this. Um, before that, you have to go back to Morning Glory in 2010 to see another real comedy on her list. The rest of the stuff is more dramatic. Um, but this is also somebody who really really started her career in comedies for the majority if like you start at the beginning of her career she's doing stuff like the hot chick mean girls wedding crashers family stone these are romantic comedy comedy movies um she started out with a less serious career and then kind of transitioned to a very serious career during the early 2000s and um yeah you're right i think rachel mcadams is fantastic in this movie and uh it's kind of an interesting spin for her she's been very quiet recently too if you look at her career it's actually kind of shocking how little she's worked because if you go back like choices too because so, so there's a little work but she's been getting bangers between spotlight game night and your mission for me not got bigger i mean the thing is she hasn't done more than one movie a year since that's what she did it was 2015 in 2015 she did like five movies and then she did she's done four movies since then um Probably just if you're Rachel McAdams, you don't need to work five movies a year so you can take a step back and live your life and, you know, be super specific about what you're going to pick. Well, I'm um, really excited about the return to comedy because I think she's like one of our best comedy stars we have working for us. Because if, if you're going to say her, you know, four best performances, three of them are comedies. It's Game Night, not to me, Eurovision, Mean Girls, and then Spotlight. But, but three, like I, I think she's given some of the most memorable comic performances by an actress um, of this century, and it has multiple of them. Just, I think, just a delightful person, and she knows how to, to balance those two personas and dramatic in her comedic persona. She also like just kind of played the wife for a few movies in the mid to twenty tens, between like Aloha and About Time, that she was just kind of romantic interest of the male lead. Um, yeah. And, and, but I think she like even elevated that just because her charm just you know kind of blows everyone off screen. And she's by far the best part of the Aloha movie that doesn't work. But when she's on the screen, um, it's hard to take your eyes off it. She's still like, very lovely in it. And about time, I think a big part of making that movie work and that relationship work. 
Absolutely. Um, so this movie is born out of Will Ferrell's extreme love for Eurovision. Um, his wife is Swedish, so that's why he has like that was kind of his. Uh, he talked about this in interviews. That was his his uh, introduction to the contest, um, Eurovision Song Contest. Um, this was actually supposed to be released before pre-pandemic um, to coincide with the 2020 contest, which was canceled because of the coronavirus. Um, I do have a question for Zach about the Eurovision Song Contest, which is Zach Ford. This is a trivia question for you. Ready? Yeah, Specify my last name. Zach, Zach, podcast Zachary, Zachary A. Ford. Are you ready? It is that. How'd you know that? That was a random guess. I just picked that's the weird. first letter. That's, that's, that's some shit right there. That's weird. <laughs> um, Zach Ford, what country has won the most Eurovision Song Contests? Is it going to be like a random ass thing? No, this is the country like in Europe. The country in Europe you most associate with great music is? Is it England? It is, that is not England. Sweden. Sweden France. is second. Sweden has won six. France has won five. United Kingdom yeah. has won five as well. Can I, can I just go through every country? Continue, no, I want to keep. I want to continue doing this this dumb game that I've clearly not set up all. Continue, Cole. You can throw some out. What do you have? Uh, Russia. Uh, Ru no, Russia's not very good at this. Um, shockingly, Russia not great. One one win. Um, what about Germany? Uh, let's see. Spain. Germany has two. Uh, Spain has two. Greece. <laughs> this is a dumb... Greece has one? Well, that one, we know who it is because she's in this movie. Is it Israel? It is not Israel. Israel has four. I would also like to ask the question, why is Israel in the Eurovision Song Contest? That does not make any sense. Yeah, that's a little weird. There's some. There are actually some. There's some fascinating stuff about your thing. Um, I'm not going to answer the question because Zach Ford is not smart and should have gotten this. The answer is Ireland, you moron. The oh, shit. Just, the motherland! Are you just saying because we did a Because we did an Irish. entire month about band movies and talked about a bunch of Irish movies. <laughs> Ireland has won seven titles, including oh, yeah, they yeah. won four straight in the 90s. Um, and we're going to listen to them all now, but we can't play them because of copyright pillages, so we'll describe them. Go! I will actually say to everyone watching, I would actually go on YouTube and watch some of these performances. Um... This is such Eurovision is, is not to go down. Youth, Eurovision is not <laughs> a song contest. Eurovision is a performance contest because the songs are like 25% of it, and the light show and the costumes are the rest of it. They have quite impressive performances. And um, it's really a fascinating contest. They've also I went down deep down, like the voting is really interesting because it's other countries voting for each other. You can track the consistency of how countries vote and there are very clear political lines that start emerging between specific countries which may that's um, of course the research you may got to is what political alliances have been formed through eurovision I, I literally found a chart that detailed the percentage of times countries voted for other countries and linked them all together because it is a very interesting component of this um, famous Eurovision winners include 1974 when ABBA won for Sweden and 1988 when Celine Dion won for Switzerland. Um, it's an interesting contest. Um, That's why Russia doesn't win, right? They might have the best performances every year, but everyone's like, "Fuck Russia, we're not voting for it." Oh yeah, no one, no one, no one likes <laughs> Russia. 
like they can go take all the fucking winter olympic medals we're, we'll we'll take the sign contest there are some very weird stuff like um israel is included in a european contest azerbaijan is included in a european contest um i don't know if i mean if you fail geography maybe you're confused about why i'm confused but um they're not european countries they're not on the continent of europe um no. They're not. They're not an island of Europe. <laughs> they don't really make sense at all. Um, Iceland has never won, um, shockingly, uh, which sort of makes this movie even better because they don't have to play off. And they will win in the next ten years uh, because of that movie. Dad, because no, Daddy Fur is a fucking makes banger ass music, and he's been the Iceland Eurovision guy for a couple of years. But this year's song is not good. So. And also, if you watch this movie, um, the big dance sequence in the middle where they all sing together is filled with former winners. Um, yeah. The drag queen person, well, I'm forgetting their name, who was actually one of the best performances, I think, in the entire history of this. Um, yeah. Conchita Wurst is quite good. Um, yeah, there's this movie is a clear love letter to Eurovision and to the contest. I wanted to ask my um, my fellow um, people here. Have you guys, did you guys know about Eurovision before watching no. this movie? No. It seems like such a coho thing too. That, here's the thing. Have it's... I since gone down the rabbit hole of Eurovision because of this movie? Absolutely. Um, this is something that exists that I should have always known existed and like assumed existed and I would have been a fan of. I yeah. just didn't know about it. Um, Cameron Holtzman is a huge Eurovision guy. Um, so he has since like given me different performances and things to go watch, but yeah, I, I think it's like one of the most insane things to exist, but I love it. Do you have a favorite have performance? Um, I mean, it's basic. I haven't watched them all yet, but the ABBA one is like, actually it's pretty really good. It's pretty good. Like I can see why ABBA won. Like they're like amazing. So it's a good okay. when they show it on the screen, I'm like, this just looks like people singing they're not doing anything that but that's the thing it's evolved over time the right. real yeah. and crazy performances occurred post 2000 before that yeah, it was uh, it was more abba is better than running with the wolves they have like fucking masks and doing crazy oh no no, no. I, 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 I i love running with the wolves <laughs> like that's i i adore them but do you think they actually win this contest I that's my headcanon is running with the wolves wins this contest <laughs> that they just came out of nowhere and won with the kick ass off They never actually tell us no. no, I think you assume it's uh, Dan Stevens. From I think that's the clear. I think they because okay. I mean, fair probably, but like, are we sure it's not Grease Lady? Because like, I I don't think her song is great either. But she like won the semifinal. Like she was like number one. So because she was a supporting character in the movie, that's why she won that. <laughs> Did Russia uh, even get in? Yeah, that's my well, question. Yes, I don't remember the, Russia being on the thing. They don't show his first performance because the semifinals are separate nights. There's two semifinals and then they Fair. actually get it. He says multiple that's, times, I'm not performing tonight. You're right. But I just completely blinked over that. Yeah. Zach, did you know about Eurovision before this movie? I did because I'm a man of culture uh, and a man of knowledge. Uh, did I watch it or li no, listen to it? No, I just knew it kind of peripherally as a thing. I mm -hmm. always thought it was not my thing because, you know, it's known to be this campy, um, you know, performance. And I'm like, camp is not always where my enjoyment is. Um, but fuck, maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. I watched <laughs> this, 
like I, I like want to go to see them live and I feel like I'd be really into it because um, it's not no, normally my type of music. I think that's what has been my barrier um, between fully embracing it. But I think even though it's not my type of music, seeing people just so sincere in their love and passion for it kind of makes me fall for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Songs are my it's definitely more of a, when it comes musically, it is definitely in the Coho Alley. Of, oh, absolutely. Uh, over the top pop, um, crazy performances. Like it really fits kind of, uh, I feel like what you like as a performance. I, I love, I, I'm a huge performances guy. Uh, as you can see, Michael Jackson's like one of my favorite, like yeah. live acts to study. Uh, so when it comes to like great shows and performances, uh, I just, I really like seeing what people think is really great. Uh, cause some of these are not necessarily good songs or good perform or good singers, but they definitely know how to put on a show that's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about it is like, it's. Uh, if you don't take this contest super seriously as like a talent scout of the greatest artists of all time, like it, it can honestly be one of the most fun, like live concert shows you can watch just yeah. from what I've been able to gather. I think a point of that, of a performance that maybe isn't great singing and the song is not at all good, but the performance is just so amusing is my name, the 21st century Viking is that there's just such a gimmick to it. And there is a gimmick to that. I think they own. That, that makes it so, you know, that you're laughing with them, not laughing at them. Um, mm -hmm. It makes it yeah, so endearing. 21st Century Vikings is my favorite joke in the movie. <laughs> um, um, I actually did know, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it before this movie. Um, only because it's been mentioned in, like, British comedy shows I watch. Like, people talking about being obsessed in meeting, like, in, like, uh, like documentaries and stuff. Like, meeting Eurovision winners. And um, they're always really impressive. But uh, yeah, it was never. It, it's just not an. It's not an American thing. It does not. It does not transfer over in a way that this thing. It's kind of interesting actually, um, because most stuff that is huge here or huge in Europe at one point transfers over and gets televised in the other place. You know, you know all these BBC shows like Downton Abbey is huge in the UK, and then it comes to the US on PBS. Like there doesn't seem to be that option with Europe. Like it's. It's honestly kind of. I'm actually kind of surprised. I mean, they must just think that. Eurovision is not going to hold up against the American contest shows, um, which is weird because it's way better. We like, do the masked singer. I don't know why we don't have Eurovision transfer over. There's so it, much. I don't think it would work though, I, especially to this late. I think why part of it still works is the history behind it that they have. I think it comes now that we too, we're too cynical of a culture here and, and yeah. too sarcastic. There would be too much hating on the internet. That would be hard for people to join the bandwagon. Um, there's actually quite a lot of hating on Eurovision. I ran into a long list of the least liked Eurovision winners, according to fan votes. Actually, one of them sometimes appears in the movie. I despise something, the girl from Israel. Uh, Netta, yes. Netta is one of the most disliked um, winners of all time. Um, it is actually kind of interesting because, because the voting is so specific. Like, this is not like any other contest show. Because you have country representatives voting, and you know, I talked about the politics earlier. The voting becomes really interesting. It's a, it's a weird combo of like a political contest and a song contest, because like you know, if you're two countries in this contest and you hate each other, that the other person's gonna could do a great song, and you're still not going to vote for them. So it sometimes becomes like a very interesting uh, determination of who's going to win. 
Yeah, especially when on the second day for qualifications, they have to um, debate trade policies um, and, and agreements with other nations. So it really becomes political at that point. Yeah. If, yeah. if this was half your like song contest and half like model UN, Lucas, there's no way like this isn't like your favorite thing. That would ever it's true. <laughs> it's true. I, I will. I'm not going to deny this. Um, I feel like we've talked enough about the outside factors. Let's talk about this movie, which is an absolute joy. Um, let's our guest go first. Coho, when did you see this? Why did you choose to see this? Because this movie did not have a lot of. It was not particularly well hyped when it came out and could have very easily been discarded and ignored. No, but like you could, I think there's a lot of people who probably saw this and I've talked to people who, who saw this movie on Netflix and were like, Oh, it's Will Ferrell again. He's been shitting seven straight movies. Like I, I, why did you decide to pick this up? And what was your first experience with it? So, um, Collider is insane and dumb and they make really weird, dumb, bold claims. And they put out this like mid-season, um, like article about why certain movies that have come out might still get Oscar nominations. And I was just like, I haven't seen much right now, so I'll look. And there was like some asinine claim that Dan Stevens could get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for his role in yeah. Eurovision. And I was like, wow. that. I was like, I don't know what this movie is. This, I actually made the claim. I snuck, um, hacked in a claim. Just database. And said Dan Stevens going to win not just this year's Oscar, but the past 10 years of Oscars as well. For so so I, I was like, I have to watch this now just to see like if people in it are great. And I really enjoyed it. I was like, that's oh, a Will Ferrell comedy. I really don't see it getting any nominations, but I was like, I'll just watch it. It looks colorful. And I ended up just really, really liking it. Um, the music is super infectious. Uh, and all the way through it, um, I wasn't, I was like hesitant because of Will Ferrell, but I was excited because of Dan Stevens and Rachel McAdams, who are two people who I genuinely like normally really enjoy in movies. So I was like, all right, this should be good. Uh, and Will Ferrell, I thought was better than he had been in years. I thought that the story was like really well suited for his strengths. Um, and I think all the way through, cause he gets to do the ridiculous fun voice all the way through, which is something that he clearly enjoys to do is the voices. Um, there's like the all ridiculous costumes and music. And it just, it felt like something that he really cared about. And that was what was something totally different from watching it. So, uh, yeah. And then I got the chance. I've been kind of meaning to rewatch this anyway. And then you guys were like, come on the podcast. I'm like, there's my excuse. <laughs> so I watched it. I actually liked it more the second time. Uh, this is a movie that I'm probably going to watch a couple more times too. So. Absolutely. Um, I saw this initially because I was just like, oh, it's a Will Ferrell movie. I'll watch it. And I liked it. And then Zach was like, we should do this for 2020 month. And I was like, okay, buddy, sure, we can do this. <laughs> I thought this movie was like three, three and a half stars at that point. Right. And on rewatch really, really hooked me. Um, so I am definitely right now recording this a lot more excited to do this as an episode than I was when initially Zach brought the idea up. So thank you, Zach. Yeah, we thought it was gonna be one of those insane Zach just gonna talk for an hour and hey, Lucas just You always plan this to happen. Yeah. You and always plan this to happen. It never happens. It never happens. Yeah, if there's an episode where I don't like the movie and you do, the episode's over in 20 minutes. Yeah, I went out of energy. Um Frank and <laughs> um that would have been the last one. Uh, uh, I um, was ready to love this as soon as they released the teaser. With that was just like the Volcano Man clip, and uh, to me that was like the funniest thing I've seen in ten years. Uh, I was really owned it, I, and I said there's just two seconds of Rachel McAdams in her head, and it's 
like that i just watched that moment um 500 times during volcano man i uh, will say i was very nervous when the movie starts with volcano man and i was like i don't know if we're gonna survive this movie it's the best part no uh, it's not the worst song it's a great song um i listen to it every morning and night and also just the like kind of dream sequence of it like the costumes are great it's the the, the right they're, they're, there's so much earnestness in their performance within it the, the lyrics make zero sense uh which i find hilarious so i i to me that's one of the funniest scenes um of the decade for me um and i was just like sold into it and i was going with the anticipation of it being you know a funny movie being unexpected how beautiful it is beautiful visually which i do want to talk about and not just how how beautiful they make you know ice and look they do take advantage of their scenery and how you know carefully designed their performances are so it's a great looking but also just beautiful emotionally i think there's really a uh, a lot of sense of community um, to this movie that I find uh, warming and really needed, um, especially last year in 2020, this week came out mid-pandemic, and and finding something that was just about the um, you know value of finding your people and finding your community um, that I think is most evident in the sing-along scene. Um, it, it's just like hit me right where I needed. Uh, and then I watched it with my wife as a second time because I was like, we need to watch Eurovision. You need to see it. It's an important thing um, to our relationship. And we mostly disagree in all movies. But afterwards, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Eurovision. Oh, near perfect movie. Nine stars. And then my wife, who I make a letterbox page for, she's like, you love it. Nine stars I, for me as well. And so now we stand Eurovision's house. Theo um, wears Eurovision t-shirts. Um, and his first word is, yeah, ha, 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 for Volcano Man. I do think actually it's an interesting point is that I was a lot I was like Koho I was worried about this movie when I saw Volcano Man because it's the worst song in the, it's, I think it is the worst song they perform and I don't think it's relatively close I think it is a serious step down from the other three um, but also the the dream sequence nature I was like this could go bad if they think that they're these performers and they cut back to them in the garage I'm like this looks like a lot of Will Ferrell movies that have not necessarily been good and I was very pleasantly surprised when it kept going and was enjoyable and not something that, you know, you know, saps your soul like the majority of Will Ferrell movies recently where you're like, why hasn't this guy been funny? Um, let's talk about... Hmm, let's talk about Fire Saga, the band. Yeah. Zach's favorite band of all time. Favorite band of all time. Um, um, they're pretty great. They're good. They're sort of t I mean, they're they're simultaneously um, great in moments and very very generic wedding band in others. Like every well, time they come, exhibiting them performing as like a generic wedding band. Every band will sound like a generic wedding band if they're singing "Yeah, Yeah, Ding Dong" in a bar of Trump people. No, they sound better singing "Yeah, Ding" than they sound singing "Pharrell Williams Happy," which is the song where they just yeah. it just sounds like. We just told, here sing happy, but with not really accents, but what you think is has the classic like Google Pharaoh's like this is what an Icelandic person sounds like. And it's like no, I mean not really, but okay, you can just do that if you feel like it. It's very much uh, that scene is very much when they're doing happy is them. It's them isolating 
two parts of the song and focusing on just the backing vocals and the main vocals and doing something that vaguely sounds like Icelandic version of the music. It's very much not exactly happy, but it's close enough. And like, I think that like was the perfect way to introduce them, but then also then put them in the situation where now they get to be on the big stage and they clearly are very like they're talented. The issue is they're also like 20 years older than they should be doing this. <laughs> yeah. Zach, um, what do you talk about this? You have a big take on this movie and the ages of the characters. Um, so they're 55. <laughs> if, if you believe this takes place in 2020 or 2019, when the movie is made, they start the movie in 1974, where they're both approximately seven or eight years old. So if they're born in 1967, um, that would make them 52. They're 52. 52 years old and having a baby at the end of the movie. So it's really like not the truth at all. And that means Chris Bronson's like 80. Um, still I mean, deficient. Will Ferrell can play 52. That's roughly yes, okay. He is about 52. It's like 53. And there it goes. I don't think it's even that they can't play. I that age is just the, the way you're supposed to see the characters. Um, as like still you know trying to f- find their love together and literally they have a baby at the end and making it work but uh, I think the movie takes place in the 90s I think you're supposed to think they're in their 30s or maybe even early 40s there is no technology that you see you don't see phones I think it's a purposeful choice you don't see a lot of com- you don't see computers but even though when they talk voting there's no like things happening on phones I think you can believe that this takes place in the early I think did I miss something that you're going to fuck with me Graham Norton is credited as himself. Yeah. And he's not like, and he didn't really have, I don't, I don't, I'm not exactly like super like knowledgeable about the career of Graham Norton, uh, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't like a thing till maybe 2012. Maybe. He was big in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Okay. So then I can be totally wrong. Because my brother was into him when we were teenagers and I'm old. Um, uh, but like he, he looks like Graham Norton now. And so, like, it's kind of a weird. I mean, you can. You have Netflix's money. <laughs> like, okay. so you think it's weirder that they don't DH Graham Norton, but that's then that they have them played as fifty-eight-year-olds. I, I think it's all, I no, I just think your theory doesn't hold up if Graham Norton's supposed to be playing himself at I, the time of their where they are. I think the main thing is it doesn't matter, and the movie right, doesn't care. Um, See, so I, I think just the. The best argument I think is that Graham Norton's show started in 2007. This is 2010. They're in their that early is. 40s, that which is. seems to make more sense because then they're in their 40s. Brosnan can be in his 60s. They could still have a baby, but they're all still they're also still a little too old to still be trying for a Eurovision dream when everyone around them is in their 20s. Right. That's I think is where I, I think I think that's probably the most likely explanation. Um, it, it, I would say in 2003, Norm was listed in the Observer as one of the thousand funniest acts in British comedy. Top a thousand, my friend, in British right. comedy. But the reason that Norton is on the show is because of his show, which started in 2007. Yeah. That's where he gets it. No, his show started. Another... The Graham Norton show, his famous show that has made him one of the most recognizable people in Britain, started in 2007. Yeah, comedy chat show, Bigger Picture, in 2005. Right, but his Graham Norton show started in 2007 on BBC. I just researched it. Don't worry. We can find we can find out when Graham Norton has started presenting um, the Euro to the Eurovision. Do you want to find that out? No. Does he actually comment? Yes, 
He is, he, he is the European presenter. He is the English presenter, the UK, United Kingdom presenter for Eurovision oh, in yeah. actual real life. Then, then let's figure this out because that's actually like, that's like, that would settle this. We are the, we care about this so much more than the makers of the movie do. Oh, oh 100%. But you opened this can of worms. Like, you can't get out of this now for going down the rabbit hole. Ha! My theory works. Mags are proving he started me in wrong. 2009. He started as the presenter in 2009. He succeeded Sir Terry Wogan in 2008. And his first final was 2009 in Moscow. So this could very easily be 2010 or, when they're 40. This does take place in modern times. And they are in their 50s, but they're Icelandic, and they basically drink the, the fountain of youth. Okay, but they could not have a baby in their 50s. It, maybe. It's not like impossible. It's not like it's an impossibility. It's an improbability, not an impossibility. They also never explicitly I, say their baby or genetic baby. They could have stole the baby. It could be someone in the crowd's baby that they sort of hold up for. That's crowd. exactly oh. true. <laughs> All right, Zach, please don't dis defame and disparage the members of this movie so we get sued. Fire Saga. Um, we, did, we haven't finished talking about Fire Saga. Fire Saga is great. Um, I do think that they make a point that they, Will Ferrell's not needed as a band member. I think he's just kind of the driving force. Um, so it more or less becomes a solo project, I feel like, if they're going to go for fame or they'd be a wedding. The reason they sound more like a wedding band in those moments is because Will Ferrell's singing. It is weird. Than he does during their actual performance. It is weird how he is the front man of this band. It is but also no, he's he is the listen, listen to me. He is the front man. He is absolutely the front man. He's the front man until they do Husevik. Husevik is the only song in the entire film where he is not the front man. But he's also significantly oh, oh, less is. talented. Oh, 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 oh. If you have only seen Volcano Man, yes. But if you watch Yaya Ding Dong, Double he starts it. She more. sings the chorus off of him. If you watch Double Trouble, he's clearly yeah, yeah, the leader. It's not their song. That's their fucking. That's when they're wedding band. He's also singing Happy in Double Trouble. She's singing any of the real songs. He writes for her to be the lead singer. No, no, no. She, no. Is, she is the more he talented is singer. singer. He is the lead. He is the he's lead. not the fucking lead. Then why is he the one that gets come down on a hamster wheel, Zach? He's clearly the lead. If he wasn't. He the... has nothing else to do because he's but not that's exactly, that clearly puts him in the spotlight. Exactly. Uh, I he's the front man. He's yeah. even the he's even the lead in Volcano Man. The song is Volcano Man, and he is the Volcano Man. What do you think a lead singer is? That doesn't mean he's the title character. I said I didn't say he was the lead singer. I said he was the front man. He's the front man. Volcano Man. He because he's like dressed <laughs> He's clearly the front. He's clearly listen, playing Volcano listen, Man, the character. All Out Boy is fronted by Pat, or is fronted by Pete Wentz, and Patrick Stump's not the front man, but he's the lead singer. There's occasions but, of this. That is not how that works. The front man is a person literally standing in front and singing, and it That's is Rachel McAdams standing in front. And the front man is the person who is the, the where the spotlight is, and the spotlight is clearly on Will Ferrell in multiple this. songs. When in did the front man start hosting Eurovision? <laughs> <laughs> And then the only song in the movie where he finally oh, the, first it, it, dictionary, the lead singer of a rock group. Not he the is singing, and he is the one in the spotlight. Not the lead singer. He is always backup. Very he always helps out the course, and everyone she's is very there clearly not in charge. She's not. It doesn't make you not the. No, that's the, the like, only song, song where she sings lead vocals lead. is the only song where she sings lead vocals is specific. That's yeah, the that's only the song only where she's, time she's the lead singer. There's a difference between leader and, and singer. In Almost Famous, it is very known that the front man is Jason Lee, but the leader of the band and the creative, um, like backbone is is fucking what's his You're name? right. The lead singer, 
Stillwater is Jason Lee. But the the front front man man is Billy Hunter. The front man of Stillwater, he even says it, is Jason Lee. He is the the face of the front man. I mean, Will Ferrell is clearly the front man and the creative voice behind the band. He writes the songs and does the costume. She's kind of only there because she chooses to show up. She could ditch him and he would still be trying to do this thing on his own. Yeah, I have one more comparison. And then Luke Luke is the oh, wait, 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 wait. Of this podcast, he is the the face in the front of it, and I'm Literally. the creative background and the one I keep controlling. That is not yeah. true because you have no spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, <there's> spreadsheets. <laughs> that's the that's the beggar argument from Lucas is that you don't have a spreadsheet. I have all the spreadsheets. I also have the only person who has access to the email or the Twitter account. I'm taking that Twitter account and I'm going to burn us down. Also, I think in some ways the point part of the part of the point of this movie is Farrell acknowledging that she should be the front person. That's why Husevic ends up being the final song because. He's doing Double Trouble. Even if you go to the first rehearsal for Double Trouble, he's clearly choreographed this whole thing. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And she's completely thrown for a loop because she's not the leader of the band and doesn't know what she's supposed to do because he's changed everything up on her. I agree. And then Husevic is the song where she does actually take over and is clearly in the spotlight. That's why it's the best song in the movie. And become a creative partner in the band. She didn't really have a creative thing. She would there just for Yes. And I mean, it's interesting though. He agrees with every thought except the technical use of the term. He's the he's the front man, which is interesting in every song. I mean, so much. He's clearly the front man. This is this is not an argument, dude. He's absolutely the front man. The, the, but the funny thing about this is because the fact that Will Ferrell is singing himself and Rachel McAdams is dug by an actual Icelandic singer, or she's Icelandic or Swedish. I'm Marianne, right? I don't know her. Yes, uh, she is. I she was in like the Junior Eurovision contest. She's Swedish. Um, yes. because the fact that Will Ferrell is singing his stuff, everything he sings is not impressive and not that complicated. And right. everything she sings is like four octave jumps and sing 12 notes in two seconds and way more complicated, which is one of the interesting things about this movie is I actually was like an idiot. The first time I watched it, I was like, man, Rachel McAdams really can sing. And then the second time I was watching, I was like, this is clearly dubbed. How on earth did I, I not notice this? I do have a question be, though. Yeah, good. Like, can she not sing? Like, do we have proof that she can't sing? Because they also dubbed Dan Stevens, who can sing. No, I think the point is they, because she's supposed to be this like this remarkable singer that, okay. that like Dan Stevens falls in love with, and they, and she does supposedly she does sing. It is her voice when she's singing "Who's the Victim" on the piano in the hotel room. That is Rachel so she like can sing, but she's like just yeah, not. She's, she's not the singer they need. Yes, like said, they kept aspects and they just like vibe it to kind of keep part of the Rachel McGowan like tone. You can hear it, but there's also moments where it's very clearly they dubbed the entire track because it is way too good and too pure of a note to be a non. Yeah, top tier. Same I with like do... Dan Stevens. They just want that like specific voice. Honestly, that's kind of what Dan Stevens sounds like in Beauty and the Beast. So I, I did fully believe that was. Him well, he well. he did. They yeah. that that's a Disney choice. They auto tune the shit out of everyone. But like Dan Stevens can actually sing. He actually has the ability to sing. But he is also he's also a severe bass baritone range, which he is also, also kind of what they're going for with with the with his character. Yeah. It's just there's like, and I think there's maybe one. Maybe there's a couple. Jump, there's a couple uh, high notes. There's like one or two high notes in there where, when I heard them, it was the moment where I'm like, "This is absolutely not Dan Stevens." But like yeah. Dan Stevens' voice, he's a good singer. He could have played that part for the most part. They just had have changed 
a couple of those high notes. Should I they have just had Dan Stevens sing for Rachel McAdams? That true. That too. Absolutely. <laughs> they sing for each other. I do think the biggest part of dubbing McAdams was not only that they wanted somebody who sounded Eurovision quality to sing Husevic, because I think is you can do Double Trouble if McAdams is singing with Farrell. Yeah. You can't do Husevic if McAdams is singing with Farrell. You need her to blow everyone away in that moment in a way that no one who's not a trained singer can do. I also think part of it is they wanted her to sing in Icelandic, and they oh, did yeah. not want to have to teach Rachel McAdams. Because here's the thing: they do actually they do actually sing in Icelandic. It is actual real Icelandic. Supposedly, it's gibberish. Okay, I've heard I, it's actually I, real Icelandic. Well, the Daddy Fair video, there's a video of Daddy Fair, the Icelandic Eurovision competitor, analyzing, he says it pretty much means nothing. It might mean nothing, but I believe it's actual Icelandic words. And I do think part of that has to be when you have a Swedish accent, you have a built-in advantage trying to learn the accent, the Icelandic accent, because it's roughly the same part of the world to be able to sing in a language that... Icelandic and Swedish, not the same language, but because of the placement in the globe, they are they have some basic um, similarities in a way that trying to teach Rachel McAdams how to not only sing for this movie, but also to sing in another language is, I think, part of the problem. I also think with Dan Stevens, it was probably more of a convenience thing. Um, my guess is he didn't film a lot of days on this. They probably came in and did his stuff relatively fast, and they probably wanted to just be like, let's not worry about the singing. Why don't you just do all the movements, and we'll put the singing in over the top? I would assume that would be the reason for the Dan Stevens one. Just being like, if we have to film you doing the scene and singing it, that's going to take forever. And instead we can just have somebody who's going to nail it a lot quicker than you will because they're a professional singer. And as you said, it is like approximated to, to their voices. Like it still sounds like it can come from them enough. They found singers. Uh, sometimes, you know, that is done really poorly in movies and things. I will say in Ed, um, Big Little Lies, they have Adam Scott singing in it, and they um, use his voice with um, the singer from Band of Love Villagers, and it just, like, does not work. And you're like, this is obviously would never come out of Adam Scott's mouth. So at yeah. least I do, I do enjoy that, like, this does sound still like Dan Stevens, and what you're used to, they just found someone to get exactly, pinpoint exactly what they wanted. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think they do a good job. They also they also dub the Grease contestant uh, Milta um, they kind of dub everyone who's high level. I do think it is very funny in hindsight that Will Ferrell is the only main character that is not dubbed. I feel like that's a personal, like he said he I didn't want it. I don't think he'd let them do it. Yeah. Well, I think they also don't want him to seem good because that's like not the point of that character in that movie. He's kind of, he's kind of running pure in spirit. Right? That's what's carried him through as a musician rather than any kind of natural talent. From what I can tell, they wrote and recorded all the music before they filmed the scene. Um, and that's why, and they gave the song to Dan Stevens to get him to sign on to play the part. So like it, like he had heard line of love before he even filmed the scene. And like, that's why he signed on to do the part from when, at least that's what this interview was saying. So I have no idea. Very, very interesting. I like that that sold him. He heard Lion of Love. Like, this is a beautiful masterpiece. And I'm he like, said he cried. In the interview, it actually says he cried listening to Lion of Love. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. Uh, Demi Lovato does sing for herself. which oh, is Oh, hell yeah, she does. Hell yeah, Demi does. That is one of the weirdest, I don't think one of the weirdest cameos in this movie is that Demi Lovato, who is, you know, considerably more famous than any of the other singers in this film, just shows up to be like, yes, I will play an Icelander and die very quickly in this movie. Um, and then randomly pay, randomly pay a ghost later. She's there to give a big 
performance and like believe Louis gives a performance that they would put their hopes in. Like you understand oh, yeah. why like this is going to like win our thing because it, it is. I I think comparatively to everything they show, like a masterwork for them. Yeah, because the other ones are like pure jokes that they show for the one. I think she's she's like absolutely being Demi Lovato, but that's all she has to do in that part because Demi Lovato is a very, very, very talented performer uh, and talented singer. So like just to see her like do very basic, like the mirror choreography, recording a song that I absolutely believe came off of her last album and will be on her next one uh in a song that is very serviceable like it's like b tier demi lovato music it's good uh but like even b tier demi lovato compared to like a lot of the other songs that the other groups do you can totally see why they think she's gonna win this for them and i think she's perfect casting for that the one weird thing to me was always the weird ghost thing because then that gets paid off it's almost like an afterthought to pay it off later and it's like you could have almost cut like the first scene where she shows up you could have cut it before she even shows up and just kept the scene of him standing at the stage after leaving Rachel McAdams to write her song to show him that he's like actually reflecting and remorseful or whatever. And then get the purpose of that scene and cut the ghost out and then cut the ghost out when he's running into the building and you lose absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's not one of the jokes that works. I yeah. do think though that casting of Demi Lovato is very important to make the boat explosion joke work. Having kind of a big face that you expect to be a bigger yes. part to try that. If it was just all yeah. those other like goofy bands blowing up, it wouldn't be like it would be like kind of funny. Well, you could even like, have oh, just an amazing like lost superstar. You could even have an amazing Icelandic singer sing that, but doesn't have the same impact of right. this, the story. Any value? And um, I, I think her cameo is like actually really solid. I think she does a good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zach, you just brought us thing about cutting the ghost stuff, which is Zach wants to make an art. I know Zach and we were talking about the um, the length of this movie. Um, I think I agree with you. I think there's some stuff that could be cut. Zach is you're a little bit more of a fan of this length. I think I am as well. I just think there are some smaller bits that didn't need to be here. Oh, I definitely agree that there's things that could be cut, but it doesn't mean that I just like same as I said, like almost famous, the extended edition, that I just like love living within that world, within that characters. And I think having that length makes you kind of build the bond. Um, with the characters and with this community a little more. Um, having this extra length gives you the time to really see close to full performances to see miniatures of tons of performances they're really getting a a broader glimpse into the contest if they cut things you might not get to see like every single person that, that was performing on that first thing you see like eight different performances uh they probably would end up cutting some of those but i found that very valuable to make the point of the movie of what this experience is like and what these type of performers are like um, so i think that's why the length works it helps you yeah this Find find your footing within this really odd atmosphere a little more. Mm. I don't have like a real issue with the runtime. It doesn't feel like a two hour movie to me. It goes by so fast every time I watch it. It's more so just this last watch. I noticed that the ghost subplot honestly can take five minutes off it. It doesn't take a lot off the movie, but it's a like those two ghost segments can go. And other than that, there's nothing really else that I can think off the top of my head that you can cut that I think don't work. Cause like, I think all the stuff with the Americans is hysterical. Uh, I think that that stuff's funny, especially yeah. when it ties back into how he gets back. I think that there's enough of the jokes in here that like all work. And I like the, you obviously can't cut the performances cause the performances are what make this movie great. Yeah. The different, like the, like the running with the wolves, the Greece or uh, the Greek singer, 
Um, I keep forgetting her name. The Swedish uh, guy one is really funny to me, but he's just like a, talking too much, talk, talking too fast, talking too fast. Oh, the rap that, one. I find that very humorous. Coolin' with the homies cool is honestly homies. my least, maybe, maybe slightly above Volcano Man, but those two are my least favorite things in oh, this that, movie. That's the one song that I think is like purposefully bad. Oh, it's absolutely. Like yeah. It's absolutely supposed to be bad. It's but like, my it, hurt, it hurts me personally. It's in line with the Eurovision. There are some because Eurovision that's definitely a track. song you wrote at some point, Coho. We all well, know absolutely, I've absolutely. There's somewhere in the world a version of a song like this that might exist. And no, you can form that at your middle school Thailand show. That's right? not true. That, that is actually. <laughs> I do think I would. My, my biggest argument for the wrong time is I agree. I don't hate it. I do think the one subplot I would feel fine cutting is the Mikkel Persbrandt and the Iceland can't pay for this. Um, subplot. That's ridiculous. It's, it's I, think not, that's I think works. that's a great. I think that's that's hilarious. I think that's actually like a great <laughs> driving like background and to, like because then it gets paid off with maybe one of the funniest things that yeah. the elves are real <laughs> or the trolls or whatever they are. That's the only part of it that makes me like maybe we should keep it. I, I just it, it's one of those things like if you cut it, I wouldn't care. But I also am like I'm not out here being like this movie is too long. You need to cut thirty minutes for it. I, I find the investment of the like Iceland Commission or whatever it is like. I love them. They're, they're amazing. Humorous. I love them, and if you get rid of him wanting to um, get rid of him, you lose a lot of them because that's, that's no. There is, is to actually you do, their whole purpose is like trying to move the show along, where someone's trying to take it away. They they wouldn't put it if there's no conflict there. The conflict is coming from those scenes, um, and. I also just find how like serious of an issue that he's just like worried about them bankrupting the country, which is like a real thing, but it handled in such like a goofy way through Eurovision. I find that um, very humorous, um, and also just like the great joke of them like still thinking he's on the up and up at the end. They're like, oh, he's really gonna miss this contest. He's gonna be so <laughs> sad. Where is he? Like that. I just left him a voicemail about it. <laughs> I, I, think just, it, I think it all works with me. my favorite members of the uh the selection committee are alfin rose who is the woman with like the really white blonde hair and the bowens in her hair who is just way too enthusiastic but everything yeah. and then uh oh, what's his name olafjord dari olafson who is the yeah. uh gentleman yeah. with the red beard he's also from the meg um he's just I love his his reaction shots anytime Eurovision is happening are the best. He does a crazy neck dance going on. He's got like a big goofy smile during Husava. Um Husavik, it's just he's just really fun. There's just some really they do like a really good job of not only do they have, you know, Farrell and McAdams and Brosnan as these like bigger movie stars and yes they don't necessarily 100 fit the icelandic feel but the inclusion of the icelandic actors is what really draws you in there's a just a really charming aspect to their enthusiasm about the idea that iceland is at this contest and not bombing and even the scene where they get to tell your eurovision that you guys are in and they're literally just talking trash about them in front of them. They're literally like, we'll get somebody next year. And then they cut to Eurovision. Eurovision's like, oh, so we're in, right? And they're like, yeah, you're in. And they just, it, there's just like a level of um, of joy and happiness in this film. Then I think the, um, the non-famous performers help really bring that out. Yeah, and I think the inclusion of the Icelandic actors, similar to the inclusion of the Eurovision 
performers yep. is very important in creating the right amount of authenticity that makes it avoid parody. Because you can also yes. just be parodizing Ison so much. But having it still have Ison performance makes it feel more like we're in the joke and, and avoids it from taking it too far. So the inclusion and the representation um, within both of those scenes um, is just highly valuable to, to this movie. And it shows you love the material because you would not make a Eurovision movie and put 10 previous winners on stage if you didn't love Eurovision. You would not make a movie and cast a bunch of Icelandic actors if you didn't have a respect and a love for the people of Iceland. If you were going to make a movie where you were mocking all these different people, um, you would not put people on stage Absolutely. Who, who are specifically from these groups. Um, Which is also why the song along is like probably maybe my oh, favorite movie. It's so good. It's because so I, I love it's like Pitch Perfect, where there's yeah. like the riff-off. And honestly, the riff-off in the first movie is probably my favorite thing in that movie, just because it's so mm -hmm. fun and getting to hear a bunch of different songs done in different ways. So to just get to see a bunch of these people just kind of just sing and just belt down to um uh the person with the beard. Uh oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that insane high note. Uh, and it just all come together, getting to hear Waterloo. Uh, put Conchita with Worst. Conchita Worst is uh, the drag queen with the beard, who is know. amazing and has one of the best win winning songs. If you go back and watch, it's one of the most impressive vocal performances they've had on their stage in years. Absolutely. I can already tell just from the way that they performed that song. Uh, the, hit that note, which is amazing. And then, I to me, I, I was under the impression before, uh, before the um, I Got a Feeling that it was all songs that had won before, like really famous songs that had won before because Waterloo showed up again. I was like, yeah. And I, I assume the other ones are probably it also. It starts with Cher, my friend. It starts with I didn't know that was a Cher song. Too, <laughs> like, no. I didn't know that was a Cher song. I, I didn't know. Uh, but like I, I recognized Waterloo and I was just like, this is like, but no matter what, that seems just like a really great, like there's just those long takes of people like walking and singing those songs. And like, honestly, I, it's probably the only scene in the movie where I'm okay with Will Ferrell like getting to sing because he's v barely in it, but the part that he does sing is like good because he actually that's like probably where his best vocal note is because he gets to the and I feel like is, is pretty high. That's a pretty high note and he hits it like he does. Pretty I think he, I think him not being good is what is so impactful about that scene because on paper that scene is like my nightmare. I hate like um, acapella. I hate sing along things. It seems so cheesy. But as this movie does, there's so much sincere earnestness to it that just like pulls you in. Everyone just seems so um, like loving what they're they're doing. Even though these are like songs I'm not into. Um, and it, it is just kind of a corny thing that they're all singing together at a party. But it, they make it so fun and lovely. And, and the fact that Will Ferrell comes in is not a great singer. It, it just increases that like accepting aspect of the community. Like it's not about. It makes all of Eurovision not feel like a competition in a way. Like they are yeah. there to, to to go and to win, but like this is really what the spirit of Eurovision is. That's about you know finding your people, being together, enjoying you know the music as something that seems like has saved all these souls and helped them all find their purpose in life and just finding that common bond. It's the common bond of music, which is like a theme I fall for in all movies. Um, yeah, that's like the other thing that I also like about the movie is that like the two villains, quote unquote, aren't really villains. They're just kind of like these like experienced people that are just trying to have a good time. And they end up just like Alexander Lemtov is not a 
good person, but he's not a bad person. He's like, not a bad person. He's, he's, he's in fact, movie. probably my favorite movie villain of the year, to be completely honest. He's just because he's villain. not a villain. He's just he's like this, this like Russian millionaire who just really realizes that Rachel McAdam is so much more talented than Will Ferrell and does not deserve to be on Fire Saga and should be with him. And it's honestly like this, like, I kind of like him a lot, like as a character in this movie. I think Dan Stevens does a great job as that character. And like, um, I can't remember uh, the Greek lady. I'm Milta. There you go. I, I feel so bad uh, that I can't remember her name. Uh, but she's like also really funny. I think like she's really solid in this movie too, is like those two being like the two people that are just trying to break up Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, even though they're not together at all in this movie really till the end. It's like, I think it's just like, I think they're like, they're not really bad guys. And I think this is kind of a nice twist about this movie. There's not really a villain. And the only real villain oh. is that businessman who gets a knife in his ass <laughs> in the last 20 minutes. Like, it's like, okay. In the almost Please. the second biggest con, um, conflict comes from Will Ferrell. He's almost the second biggest villain in a right. way because of his, um, you know, pride and kind of blindsidedness within his goal setting on that he's kind of ignoring Rachel McGowan's voice. That That's one of the villains. It's really, Dan Stevens isn't, isn't supposed to be the villain. Like, it's right. a mystery. It was all supposed to be a mystery that you think he's going in to steal her, um, you know, either sexually or to try and win the contest, but it takes the spin. And he is really just ends up becoming a really good friend. And that's right. his own purpose. And those two to each other are just really good friends. Um, yeah. that really they build that relationship and like they really only have like maybe a minute and a half together, uh, Mita and um, Dan Stevens' character uh, on screen. But you they you have, one like have great chemistry together, but you feel like a long lasting friendship and almost like she's the only person that's been able to truly understand him because of yeah. everything. Um, you know, he's being forced to hide. And there's also Pierce Brosnan, who's kind of a, he's not really a villain, he's just a dick who's, like, very rightfully embarrassed that his, like, 50-year-old son is still living at home with him, trying to make it a hero. Wait, 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 let's take a second. I, I don't think Pierce like Brosnan is a dick. I think Pierce Brosnan is completely right. He's saying, That's you're fair. 40, you play in a pub, you don't have a real job, you live in my house, and you think you're gonna be in a song contest, except you're not good at singing. I think he's sort of the tough dad who, you know, Will Ferrell is kind of an idiot and probably should have listened to his dad at some point and then he gets him out on a boat and he's like he's trying to teach him how to fish and he's the worst fisherman in the history of fishermen True. he can't be near fish which is like you know kind of a big problem if you're gonna be yeah. a fisherman one of the reasons but, i am I, not a fisherman i do not want to be near fish all day i also he's think like, like I mean, he definitely could be more supportive but like he's not wrong that like 52 year old will ferrell needs to move out of his house <laughs> I mean, at he, the end, he's, when, he's when, being supportive in his mindset of like when Rachel McAdams sings the great song, he's he's completely charmed by it. That's true. He, he's not a terrible person. He just doesn't want his. I mean, to be honest, if you were his, if you were Will Ferrell's dad and your son was at Eurovision and he just done a performance at the Icelandic qualifiers where he put himself in a harness and then fell on out of his harness and basically fell on his face and also had to climb through the audience, you probably would not want to watch your son perform on national TV either, embarrassing your family and everyone with your family name. That is true. But, but he also doesn't learn to appreciate what he was going for by the, the Husik thick performance, by them succeeding. He learns to appreciate them from their second failure. It's from that first performance at Eurovision where the hamster reel goes crazy and they fall, but they continue to finish. That's been that earns the scene later where Chris Bronson is like, you're like, you finished, you didn't quit. And that showed like true strength. And that's where the pride came from. Um, that I felt was really rewarding because it's 
would be more artificial if it was like, oh, you did well, and now I get you. But it's more like I see your drive. I saw your true character through this performance. And then they give, like, one of the best hugs in recent cinema on the boat. It's a great hug. Um, I felt the warmth. I, I kind of hugged myself during it, too, so I can, uh, so I can cosplay um, the hug. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about... Um... Let's talk about small jokes. I say in the character from the dog right now with the beard and my sweater. This is me dressed like a Eurovision character. I'm on the... Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. You're, you're an Icelander. Um, let's talk about small jokes in this movie. There's a lot of really funny uh, moments. Oh, yeah. um, my ref, my uh, name is... Uh, she's probably not my sister, which is a, a random joke that occurs several times in the film that is never explained. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but is also quite funny. Um, I think Dan Stevens has arguably one of the best jokes of this, where uh, they make a pronouns joke, which is quite—it's um, quite well done. Could be problematic, but they make I, it work. I don't think it's yeah. They, I think they do it well enough that they yeah. make it non-problematic. Because they actually have a really funny moment where you know, Mc, McAdams asks him if he's gay, and he goes, "There's no gay people in Russia," to which he responds. That's statistically impossible. And she goes, not even non-binary. He goes, no, he, him pronouns, which is, um, I think, probably the best pronouns joke I've ever seen. And one of the few times that it doesn't seem like you're just an asshole uh, making that joke. You guys have any this small is not jokes? making fun of people using different pronouns. It's, just, it's making right. fun of him being yeah. forced to you know, doubt his own uh, yeah. sexuality. Well, right. to conform to stuff that he's clearly not. Yeah. Really. yeah. Do you guys have any yeah. small jokes in this movie you like? Uh, my my name is my favorite line in this movie. The, it will yes. never be enough. I only want to hear your ding dong. That's like, a big joke. <laughs> no fair, but that's like that moment. I mean, that specific line is probably my favorite line in the whole movie. And like, let's shout out. Let's shout out Hans Oli Augustin, who is the absolute MVP of this film. Oh yeah, and um, the greatest movie character of the 2020s. Actually, and, yeah, and should be president of Iceland, and should run the UN, and be in all movies, and win six Oscars. I would nominate this guy in all four acting categories and give him this end director and he would get all the awards. Um, I want this guy to bong Jun home the Oscars. <laughs> um, I also think it, that his character works when he's not even doing uh, ding-dong jokes because he's just like always yelling because he, he's getting his parking ticket the first time you see him. Yeah. And he's just like, why are you getting a parking that. ticket? And he's like, are you going to go to the concert? Of course I'm going to the concert. <laughs> it's all I can do. It's just how he speaks. It's not he's like great. doing this bullshit town. Because I also, he's great. if you're talking about little bits, when Rachel McAdams just goes, we have to play it. It's the only thing he loves and cares about. This <laughs> <laughs> is just like a great line. That's the really um, like, it's like, we have to do it for this guy, a ding dong super fan. He's fascinating because I watched an interview with him where he was like, he was just a, he was just a supporting, he was a background actor. He was an extra. And um, I mean, he is an actual actor in Iceland, but he was he was just a member of the crowd. And they basically told him to yell to play Yaya Ding Dong. And then the director, David Gopkin, was like, I want to see I want to see an opposite version of the shot rather than just looking at the stage. I want to see somebody yelling it. And this bearded Icelandic dude is bellowing red in the face about how he wants to hear the song. And, play um, Ding Dong! and that's exactly why he got a character. And um, he's actually really funny. There's an interview with him on, I think it's the Netflix UK and Ireland YouTube page where he talks about um, being a meme, basically becoming a meme for everybody and uh, reads a response to a bunch of tweets about how people just want to sing the song all the time and um, makes several mockeries of them and how that if you want to sing the song all night, 
you may have you know deeper problems than he's able to help you with. <laughs> uh, he's, he's quite wonderful. He's um, just another one of the really fun um, character actors in this film that's just really funny. Yeah. But yes, another bit that I think works but maybe shouldn't work if they overplayed it, but they almost like buried it in the background to where it works is just, is Pierce Bronson just being like the player of this Iceland village. And every time you see him, he's like talking to some like 20-year-old girl at the bar, but they don't do much with it. He's just constantly like the big flirt. And that's the, not, not your sister joke, is that he just like has impregnated every woman in Iceland, but they don't say it explicitly. Um, ex except for her mom is the one person that he couldn't get until yeah. the end. And also she's beautiful. She is, this makes me think that Iceland drinks the Fountain of Youth because that woman, Oh, Zach's about to get real weird. Like and... <laughs> I, uh, I also really like the Kevin Swain bit. Like, just Kevin Swain as a character, I think it's just a funny... Like, it starts off as just, like, a funny name. But then just, he comes in, and he, like, choreographs. He's like, come on, we can do the steps, do the steps. But then, I think Will Ferrell ups that joke to being even better. But then it's Alexander Lemontov who, like, sells it 100% as being the best part of that joke. It's just this like over the top choreographer it's like it's kevin swain it's kevin swain is he doing great and you're like supposed to know who that is and Lemitov just at the bar is just like kevin swain it's just like the funniest name it's basically a joke it's a fun name but it's just, it works it's a weird infectious like it works joke yeah and i just looked it up um rachel mcadam's mother is three years older than her Oh, oh, I thought she was like 60s. No, she's 48. she's 48. I do have to talk about, you probably feel Pierce Brosnan. Can we talk about how Pierce Brosnan is 13 years older than Will Ferrell and looks looks better than Will Ferrell does? Did you expect Will Ferrell to be this like sexy 50-year-old? I don't need Will Ferrell to be sexy, but freaking Pierce Brosnan in like his late 60s looks fucking good. Looks real good. He's aged better because of the beard. He has a great the beard rule. He really rocks the beard. That's a It's very it's very gruff at times. Every Iceland man in this is a honk, and um, because I I don't want to don't want a fat shame here, but I will say like even um the leader of the committee that you mentioned, Olafur, whatever, he's a very large man, and that guy is sexy. He's a bear of a man. Yeah, beard and Iceland look he. He's a bear of a man. He is a very good-looking guy. It's the beards. It's the beards and the sweaters. It's what I'm going for. It just doesn't always work as well because my beard doesn't flow in. Because, Zach, you are not from a country that has won nine World's Strongest Man titles in its history in a tiny yeah. country. There are I mean, some also, like, Icelandic Viking power there. The Iceland cop that like might have a thing for Richard McAdams, and they're like, "You should marry this guy." So well, I'm like, "Yeah, you should marry him. That guy's fucking gorgeous. He has a great beard. <laughs> marry him." <laughs> Zach Ford objectifies men. The podcast. <laughs> we continue on. Yeah, I was making up for when I called Richard McAdams. Ma, ma says she was working it, so I had to bounce it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Graham Norton. I love Graham Norton. I don't oh, know yeah. about Co I'm a huge Graham Norton fan. I don't know if Zach is huge. I think he's the best talk show host currently working today. I think he is yeah. so much funnier and so much better at interviews. Um, he's really witty. He's really good at comebacks. If you say something ridiculous in his show, he's able to respond better than I feel like any of the other hosts are. He does so many unscripted interviews where he's literally like he has like three questions and he just does a 25 minute interview. Um, he did an amazing interview with uh, Bill Murray. Matt Damon and um, Hugh Bonneville for Monuments Men, which is one of the most hysterical things I've ever seen. 
Um, I love his inclusion. This is, and it's just kind of another ode to Eurovision. He's the actual presenter for England, so of course, why wouldn't you include him? Big year for him between this and he was in Seoul. And like an actual yeah, he is in Seoul, right? And his part in Seoul is really good. Like I think he's actually yeah. like a really, really funny character. And different for him. Like in this, he was playing himself. He was playing like right. the weird hippie meditative in, guy. In this though, I feel like he's playing a heightened, almost heightened version of himself. He's kind of doing yeah. the Elizabeth Banks, John Michael Higgins pitch perfect part, where he's like gets to be the like dose of real of reality and realism looking at these asininely over-the-top performances and even like the double trouble part is just like okay this isn't as bad as we thought it was going to be this is actually kind of good and then the hamster looks always and he just points out the scarf he's like here's the scarf he's like the scarf the scarf and just it's so good i think he's so he brings such this like this really great sense of reality to the whole situation but also is also able to play right along with the reality that it creates. And it's super, it's super endearing. I, I, I think his best moment is after Kusevic, right? Um, he was just like, that That was very touching and moving. And then took a pause. I'm like, of course, they're going to be disqualified. Of course, they're going to be disqualified. <laughs> but very touching and moving. It was just a great line and delivery. And like, didn't overstep, like, all the, like, faking tears and acting like it's the most beautiful thing. It was, it was a subtle, like, he was actually giving the, the commentary. I was like, oh, that was a very lovely performance. Oh, yeah. It was measured. And he's just, this show is really, really, really popular with the LGBT community. It is a really, I don't feel right saying this, it's a really gay show. It's very flashy. Graham Norton is an openly gay, um, presenter he has a very even his um he has a just it, it's very much within his character and his present presentation and i think you see this throughout the film um it just works it, the show works so well i think the fact that you have uh, a performance um that you know is giving awards to a drag queen there's like a there's a lot of really cool things about eurovision in terms of a lot of the stuff is very similar. The performances have a lot of the same notes. Those songs have a lot of the same notes. It is really cool, though, um, how much diversity exists in the winners and how many different people who may not be um, awarded and acclaimed for their performances in different contexts and different shows are given a lot of um, fame and rewards and win these things in by doing things that in a lot of other shows might cause an audience to get turned off. It's just very opening and very welcome of so many different lifestyles and so many different um, belief systems and, you know, how people want to represent themselves. And, you know, you want to be a drag queen and go up there and sing your songs like that, then go up there and be a drag queen and sing your songs and you're the best you win. And I think there's like a really cool um, openness and inclusivity to Eurovision as a contest that is just kind of beautiful in an age when in a lot of performance contests and a lot of contests to begin with, you have to fit into a box to even qualify to be considered for a winning. And this, it's really just like, go out there and wow us. And however you do that, if you're the best, you win. And I think that's just really cool. Yeah. yeah. And the movie owns that. The movie works with those the same things and that that idea of inclusivity. Yeah. I think that that's like a thing where like, like we talk about how incredibly over the top this award, like this, this performances are. And they are. But I think that's why it's so fun to watch. And that's because everyone there is so different from what we see here. Yeah. It's why I don't think this show would cross over to America because America would look at this and go, what the hell? 
but <laughs> we have stupider, dumber content than yeah. this really pretty, really fun to look at light show extravaganza of all people from all walks of life being who they are on a stage and singing. And I think that that's why Eurovision is honestly really fun. Um, and that, I think this movie totally captures that essence so well um, and uh, got me turned on to it. So now I'll probably be watching that this now every year for the rest of my life. Uh, and I honestly really enjoy um, what this movie is and how they were able to put turn me on to something that I didn't know existed, uh, which will now probably be one of my favorite things. So, there is all intentions to have a 2021 contest because there was not yeah. 2020. We'll live stream it. Our commentary. Oh hell yeah! Just look at Zach, look at Zach podcast featuring co-host commentary. We're gonna, we're gonna have two live stream commentaries this year: Eurovision and the Snyder Cut. Yes, this is get me on for the Snyder Cut commentary. <laughs> no, you don't fit on the Snyder Cut commentary. You actually have knowledge of this shit. We're idiots that have seen yeah, the movies have no comics. <laughs> you're not allowed on. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna sit in the comment section and be like, "Look at you two morons." It's gonna be no. The, the joy of that will be Zach and I will be sitting there having a discussion of um, a series of comic books that we don't understand and have no pre-existing knowledge in. That's fine. Um, to update the audience, Eurovision Song Contest 2021 semifinal one begins the 18th of May this year. It is supposed to happen in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Um, we hope that you know that'll happen. Probably should happen. I hope so. But how much of the um, the word just totally escaped my my mind, my mouth? Except right. Iceland had a great song last year, and they have a bad song this year by the same person. So I'm disappointed. Yeah, antidote is that the word? No, God, I can't come up with what the word is. I literally just totally blanked. Vaccine. Vaccine. I have never blanked on a word ever on our podcast so you should be at very i am very ashamed that it took me that long to find the word vaccine uh with a vaccine i feel like we should be able to start having some stuff start to open in limited ways again so yeah and being that not not to brag but i will be fully vaccinated in one day that means i'm allowed to perform at eurovision and i will see you absolutely absolutely yeah will you be 21st century viking (laughs) I mean, yes, I'm actually just going to sing the song and hope that nobody recognizes it. (laughs) The Netherlands is actually doing relatively okay with COVID. Only about 3,000 cases over the last seven days, which um, compared to the dumpster dumpster fire of the U.S. is um, quite impressive. Um, (laughs) Considering we have 3,000 cases in the state of North Dakota, that is impressive. (laughs) A state that has... 12 people and not much else. Somehow it's 3,000 cases. 12 people and 3,000 cases. I don't know how they happen. It's just some weird numbers. Um, we There might be more cows with COVID in North Dakota than there is all in the Netherlands. I don't know if cows can get COVID. Well, I don't think animals probably. can. Can animals No, there COVID? has been some animals. There was like the tiger that got a dog. A dog has gotten it. I think a lion or a tiger got it as well. Um, Zach, do you have any final thoughts on Eurovision? Your favorite movie of um, all time? Is it my favorite movie of all time? I I do. Um, I said this movie with featuring songs from 2020. I mean, I'm not putting it out of possibility that if I do hopefully get sick after the second um, shot, that I may watch your own vision possibly three times in a row. Um, because it, it just it's just it's just a very warm, comforting movie. That's the primary takeaway. It's just how, um, yeah, this is how comforting this is it just makes you feel happy to be alive and it's also just a super easy watch which some of the other will fair movies do not work that way it could be a lot more antagonizing 
this one is like a comfort blanket. Yeah, it is a joy to watch. It is fun. And and I cried gonna... twice every time I watch it, both I... during the sing-along and during Husevic. Weirdly the perfect movie for COVID in that it is um, relatively low stakes, uh, very comforting, very charming, very enjoyable. You get lost in really great performances and you can enjoy it for the story. You can enjoy it for the mere performances. You can enjoy it for the jokes. There's a lot of levels this movie can work on. So it is really one of these things I think that we will see a lot of people um, re-watching if they've seen I, it once. Um, I would encourage I, anyone who hasn't seen it to watch it. I mean, I don't know why you listen to uh, 100, you know, 100 minutes of a podcast about a movie you haven't seen, but you know, some people have interesting lives. Zach, you want to say something? Yeah, quick question before we do. Do you think the primary reason this movie has exploded or there is you know, quite a bit of negative takes on it is the same reason why we think Eurovision, the contest won't work in America, that there's the cynicism, the you know, wanting to be too cool and smartest person in the room that makes it hard for them to fall for the earnestness of this movie? Is it too earnest for the American people? I don't, I don't know. Like, do people not want things that are comforting and warm? And I, I think the I think the best <laughs> argument against this movie is there are really great highs of performances, and in somebody who likes the movie less than us, maybe everything else falls flat. Like I can see that argument. I can see that being the argument. I actually haven't really dug into people who don't like this movie and tried to figure out why. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's probably maybe the best argument for why some people have have not liked it that much. I guess it is sort of split. There are people who think have quite yeah. low ratings on it. Oh, it has not taken off. Like it has in my heart. No. Well, I mean, I think I think the reason it's not taken off is because um, when we're all stuck at home you know, watching stuff anyway, I think it's easy for stuff to slide through the cracks and Eurovision never became the number one trending on Netflix or the top five trending. On, like it was never, it never reached that height. So there was never the, like the societal pressure of like everyone else has seen it. So I have to see it. Mm -hmm. Koho, do you have a take on why this movie hasn't necessarily received really high acclaim or taken off in terms of. I think the reason why most people either just haven't watched it or haven't given it a fair chance is because it is Will Ferrell and like, and it's Netflix. Like the thing is, like Netflix has really high highs and really low lows on the movie scene, and yeah. and I can see, like, with an Adam Sandler Netflix movie, people I will probably never see Hubie Halloween. That's not something I probably will ever watch. It's but enjoyable. I'm sure it is. I just I've never seen it. But but like I think at first glance, the idea of Will Ferrell doing a very bright musical comedy on Netflix is not the most enticing thing in the world coming off of something like Holmes and Watson, which also looked like those two were just going to have a lot of fun in British outfits and voices. And like, mm -hmm. I just think that people aren't really open to giving Will Ferrell all of the chances that we've used to given him. Uh, but I think that's a little bit of an unfair take since I think this is easily the best he's been in 10 years. I think this is, uh, I'll wrap this into final thoughts. I think that this is a really sweet movie that um, that I like more and more every time I watch it. I will never call this thing a masterpiece of film. It probably will never break my top 10 of 2020, but 
it is a movie that I think is, <laughs> it's a movie that I think is going to be in my favorite movies of 2020. It will be one of my favorite. The same things, and we'll argue that on a different show. We'll that different show. Uh, I, I think that Eurovision is a lot of fun. I really enjoy it, and it's a movie that I will recommend to a lot of people. I think that uh, the voting Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences are dumbasses for completely overlooking the technical aspects of this movie involving songs and costumes and hair and makeup. I think this movie is a very, very big achievement in those areas. And to only get one shortlist spot for the best song in the movie, I'll take it over nothing, but it deserves more. To all voting members of the Academy who listen to the Lucas Attack podcast, fuck you for not voting for more of it. Well, um, fuck you, but please, please give Husevic a nomination and then vote for it to win. Yeah, please, please, please give Husevic the nomination. I'll live with an Oscar nomination for Eurovision. Um, but it is yeah. honestly one of the most charming, funny movies of 2020, and uh, one that I will re- continue to revisit in the future. Um, back to our discussion of top tens, I do wonder what Coho is going to think when um, it appears in two top tens and Hamilton appears in zero. I'll be mad. I will be mad. <laughs> Hamilton's number one, if you couldn't tell. Hamilton's number one. 18th or something for me right now. What cocaine are you on? <laughs> 18th is high. Honestly, okay, so honestly, I, we're not going to take these. I would argue my biggest thing after thinking about this more is I, I'm kind of bored for the first 30-ish missions of Hamilton. Like what? I, I, I'm not into that movie. It takes me a while oh. to get into that movie. Wow. Go See, my thing was put a pillow movie. over your mouth when I tell you this. <laughs> Keep in mind, I have seen 102 movies in 2020. So it's I'm, a bigger horrified. I'm horrified right now. This is going to be I a have at, I have it at number 60. <laughs> See, it's you, though. So that doesn't frustrate me. That's higher hey, than I thought you were going to say. One spot above um, Disney's Elephant. Disney Nature's elephants. <laughs> that sounds so disrespectful. Um, no, but like, uh, how do you burp the first? Uh, though I think the first act of Hamilton is better than the second act of Hamilton, and I and that's just I think that they're. But I think it's a be- perfect piece of work. But whatever. Yeah, for me, it just falls into the the classic musical tropes at times of having um, four to five songs I want to revisit, and I could not care if I revisit like five to six of the others ever. Um, I mean, that's, it, that's a problem with an opera. Like, when it's an opera, like, everything is a song. So, like, obviously, though transition songs are not ones I listen to. I'm not sitting here jamming out to Farmer Refuted or Best of Wives or Best of Women. But I, I, I am bopping to the room where it happens and my shot and uh, and one last time. Like, I think the big ones are, like, the big ones. So We also have a good taking you on Lin-Manuel Miranda as a performer, which is... I think he's incredible. I think he's kind of not good. You're wild. He definitely, he's fantastic. I think he gets blown off the screen by everyone around him is the big problem. I don't think he gets blown off the screen by everyone, but I think David, I would say David is better. I would say Christopher Jackson's better. And I would say Leslie Adam Jr. is better. Everyone else on screen. Okay. I think he's better. But when you're, when you're consistently playing up against three other actors and the three other actors are blowing you off the screen. I wouldn't say blowing you off the screen. I think Lynn is giving the best acting performance of the group. I think that I think that he is the best rapper on that stage. No, Divi Diggs is the best rapper on that stage. Right, and- this audience, this is my Lynn Miro Miranda um, face um, impression. <laughs> he he is he is kind of a he is kind of a caricature of a theater actor who hasn't learned how to act for a movie. That's rough. That's he does rough. have a 
I, does not know what to do with his face, and neither does David Diggs, so we can talk about it later. Whoa. I think David Diggs, no, I disagree with this. I think David Diggs is good in movies. I think Lynn Melrose and Marauder, and he has the same problem in Mary Poppins Returns. He is a stage actor who has never transferred over. He just doesn't know I, how to do it yet. I don't know about that. And now we have crushed Coho's soul by saying that Hamilton is not a good Make movie. a Hamilton special episode. Oh, I'm not going to fight you. No! Hamilton as a historical figure? Overrated. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, kind of a trust person, to be honest. He really got, he really got, it was kind of funny because Hamilton comes up, and then I think that, isn't there like an article in the Atlantic or somewhere who came out and was like, yeah, Hamilton was actually like a trash person. We didn't really acknowledge how terrible of a person he is. Um, I think that, was, that was like before it came out because that was about the, I think that article spurred on discussion of removing him off the 10 and Hamilton's popularity saved him being removed off the 10 entirely. I mean, if we're going to kick one person off a bill, it's not Hamilton. No, no. Why is Andrew Jackson still here? Why is Andrew Jackson still here? Andrew Jackson, terrible person, pretty awful president, if we're being honest. That's a very weird inclusion in the first place. Why is he on here? And now we've completely gone off the rails. Um, I want to thank Coho for being here, even though we just you know crushed his soul at the end of the podcast. And we'll... I wasn't using it, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Zach, you had fun today. I had lots of fun. I'm do you want to trash? Do you want to trash the Eurovision moon for a second? You like to trash music in movies that you like? Why would you just praise how much I love everything? You guys would have wanted to Okay, Cole is going extreme. I don't think he's terrible. Don't listen. they my performance of Volcano <laughs> Man? <laughs> 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 All right, <laughs> Eurovision, it's over. Next week yeah. we're doing Borat too. La 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 la. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I have a feeling that we're, we're going to have to do a lot of Borat impersonations next week. Let, I would crash, never. let me crash I next week crash. for the intro. I'll film for you a special Borat oh. voiceover intro that will just be terrible. Please. I am completely stuck on what song to do because I am not doing the, the Wuhan flu song. Why is that on the short list? Why is this on the short list? <laughs> It's a weird choice because they're never going to give it the win because they never want to play that song at the Oscars. Exactly. They cannot play that song at the Oscars. You it took mean, Double Trouble Spot and I'm frustrated. <laughs> double so Trouble Spot there. Also, think, Laugh Laugh from Promising Young Woman or anything from Soul, but okay. I don't know what the original song of Promising Young Woman Last is. Last Laugh! It's the very first song after the credits. It's like really fun. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I'm not one of the firm believers that credit song shouldn't count. But. Zach. It's a fair argument. It's a fair argument. It's a fair All right. Next week, Borat 2. Come back then. It'll be fun. Zach Ford, sing us out. Well, we're all going to sing us out, but wait for the chorus, please. When I feel your gentle touch and things are going our way, I want to spill my love on you all day. All day. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My love, oh, Zach and Lucas podcast. I mean, Lucas and Zach podcast. <laughs> I forgot the words growing wide and wide long. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ding Ding dong. Dong. We're great, guys. Okay, we're gonna find uh, the band for your wedding. Goodbye. <laughs>